My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era, and today I'm very excited to have Lexi Thurisingam on the podcast. And for those of you that don't know her, uh, she is a scientist, storyteller, and leader who sees marketing, who sees the marketing landscape from fresh perspectives that have left that have led to meeting emerging customer needs with unique solutions. So her most recent experiences include stints at some well-known brands, including Telus, CAA, BMO, and Rogers, along with being a, park, a marketing professor at York University. Before she joined the Cisco team about three years ago, where she now where she is now the head of global partner marketing. So Lexi, thank you so much for making time. I know you have a super busy schedule, so I appreciate that. Um, and for me, I'm always excited to start at the beginning. So, you know, um, let's let's start at the beginning in terms of like how you grew up, what like, you know, how does your family look and just kind of go from there. And then we'll kind of go into your professional journey. Uh, well, first I want to say thank you, Ara, for having me on your podcast and um it's actually amazing and wonderful to see the impact you are having in showcasing diverse individuals in our community. So thank you for doing that. Um, in terms of a little bit about myself from the beginning, I love that. Um, you know, so I'm, I live here in Toronto, Canada, and um, my parents were both immigrants uh, that came here. Um, and like many immigrant parents, you know, probably sacrificed a lot. Uh, to come here to give uh, my brother, I have a brother who's about three years younger than I, a better chance. Um, I grew up in a fairly traditional home, I would say, um, you know, where my parents um, had to uh, persevere and, um, you know, work really hard, laborious roles and jobs to um, get us, you know, the life that we wanted, needed. Um and so I would say early on, you know, perseverance and grit and hope were all um, kind of part of our story and part of our narrative. That's amazing. The reason I always ask this question is I have always been super fascinated by things like birth order and kind of how you grew up, where you grew up, you know, just things like that, because I feel like all those things can kind of impact your kind of trajectory from a young age. And now that I'm uh, a relatively new parent, uh, my wife and I had twins mm -hmm. like about a year ago. I'm very, I'm even more conscious of, of that fact as well. So uh, thank you for kind of sharing that. So, you know, um, you kind of talked about your upbringing, you know, now you're kind of, you know, for the last you know, number of years, you've been kind of in the world of marketing. So what specifically from a young age um, got you interested in this, you know, world? And I feel like with marketing, it's such a kind of, it's like a word that's always thrown around, but I feel like people don't really know everything that it, it entails because most people think it's predominantly qualitative, but there's a lot of quantitative aspects to it as well. So yeah, I would love to kind of hear about this. So first I want to say congratulations on the twins, um, <laughs> boy, girl, both. one boy and one girl. Yes. Okay. So I have twins uh, oh, so wow. back, um, and a boy and a girl, and they just turned 11. So um, you're in yeah. for some amazing amazing experiences as a twin uh twin father so congratulations thank you um well you know what i'll start actually it's funny your question on what made me well here's a here's another interesting uh story i was actually going to be a dentist when i grew up <laughs> so 
Um, I was, I, I didn't even know what marketing was. And, um, so I was going to be a dentist and, um, I actually went to university of Toronto to, with a goal to pursue an honors BSc degree as a, an initial undergrad before pursuing the dental, um, degree. And as I was, you know, I would say almost halfway, I wasn't actually sure that I'd chosen the right path. I was just always one of those kids that was very good in, you know, maths and sciences. And of course, coming from a traditional background, um, that was a bit of the, you know, the path forward. And as I spent my time in university, especially um, the truth is the reality of spending my days in a lab coat or looking into people's mouth was not something I wanted to do. And <laughs> I also happened to have a fear of needles and blood, which I was clearly not going to get over. <laughs> um, but I still, you know what, it was really important for me to finish and see my degree through. So I graduated and I was still a little bit of searching what to do next. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine who encouraged me to investigate uh, post-grad, post-grad uh, programs. And I've always been drawn to creative thinking and storytelling. Um, and so a little bit on a wimp, I took a course in international marketing and uh, at a college. Um, and the classes were intimate. Um, and I got to learn some really amazing case studies, like how Coca-Cola sustained its brand for over 100 years or how um, Azara, a retailer, um, successfully entered a very crowded space. or um, one that really stands with me is Steve Jobs' mission to disrupt the tech industry and capture a new generation. Um, and I would say, you know, long after the classes ended, I was still talking and thinking about the case studies to my friends and my family. And um, honestly, that's probably when I decided I was going to be a marketer. Um, and, you know, the thing is, I love, love, love what I get to do for, um, for a living. And I'm so glad I chose a different path. Um, I want to talk about your point on misconception, what people think, and, you know, you are hundred percent right. Um, I still get a little bit of the, what do you really do? Right. Like, what do you really do? Um, or on the other hand, people sort of, they assume it's very much in that advertising TV creative. Um, and yes, all of that is true. And there was a point in my career where I did get to do some really amazing TV spots and radio ads. Um, but I say today, it's actually more science, right? Especially in the digital age where data and analytics and it's about getting the right message at the right time. There's a, actually a lot of science that goes into marketing as well. No, definitely. I, I, I think um, people don't really understand that. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around kind of the relationship between sales and marketing as well, yeah. because they kind of feed each other, right? Like the more mm -hmm. sales and outreach you do with customers, that kind of feeds into the marketing loop as well. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I think I saw as well that, you know, um, something around the kind of the MBA program as well. And yeah. I'm curious about your thought, because I also did my MBA and I have certain thoughts about it. <laughs> um, you know, what do you think the value of an MBA is in today's job market? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's something that will continue to be valuable or has it been diluted with kind of how education is kind of evolving and you know especially with COVID impacting a lot of schools and just kind of the trajectory of how education will be structured moving forward um I mean that's a pretty heavy question I'll <laughs> I'll tell you from my perspective right for me because my first degree was um an honors BSc personally pursuing an MBA was very important to me because it really complemented my science background um and 
you know, to be honest, early in my career, it absolutely helped me differentiate between other candidates because I actually had a very interesting combination of degrees. Um, so I think people felt were interested and it differentiated me and it definitely led to some really great interview conversations and dialogue. Um, again, my opinion is I do think there's still value from an MBA perspective in um in the marketing environment. Now that is obviously complemented and or uh, not always needed depending on which part of marketing you're going to go. You know, if you're going to go very heavy in the technical space, in the digital space, um, you might not need it. But at the same time, if it's going to help you round out a degree, round out, uh, uh, you know, other background that you have, I think it can certainly help you uh, differentiate and show how you um, can be both a specialized, but also have broad business thinking. So it's also a little bit of, you know, I, I think it, it, it's, it's a combination of looking at your whole, what you have to offer. And is there an opportunity for an MBA to complement and differentiate? So I guess if you're wearing your hiring hats and you're looking at mm-hmm. potential candidates out there, does having an MBA make them stand out to you? Or is it just kind of one piece of the puzzle of it's many things piece. you kind of... Absolutely. It's the combination, right? And and there are lots of candidates I bring on that don't have an MBA um, and, and they stand out for so many other reasons. And then there are candidates that, you know, having that might make them interesting or unique or again, depending on um, the rest of their rest of their background and what they specialize in. So, um, yeah, I think it depends. I'm probably yeah. not answering. I'm not giving you a clear. No, answer. no, no, no. It, what you said makes sense. Um you kind of were talking about Steve Jobs and it kind of got my mind going because like one of the, my favorite I guess talks were of, that Steve Jobs did was kind of you know connecting the dots looking backwards like everything mm-hmm. makes sense when you look at all the dots that kind of came before where you are today uh, and for yourself you know you're obviously in this very impressive role at a large company like you know well-known brand like Cisco but before you got to Cisco you had a few stops on the way which included TELUS, BMO, CA, Rogers, which are also big brands in kind of their own their own right. So what made you decide to go or, or choose these specific kind of brands? You can quickly highlight, you know, whatever ones you want to touch on, but why did you, you know, decide to choose these roles? And looking back, how did any of these roles kind of really help, you know, get you the role or where you're at today at Cisco? This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. Um, so I'll start, you know, uh, again, because my background was unique and I had a science and a um, you know business combination, I actually began my career even before some of the brands that you just listed in health sciences and pharma. Um, my science degree combined with my marketing postgrad actually enabled me to lead with analytics and be really, really comfortable translating, you know, complex products or uh, complex um, science documentation into creative customer-facing, physician-facing content. So uh, that's actually how I got my foot in the door, uh, you know, into some really exciting roles. And then um, at some point, uh, there was actually a little-known company called Clarinet, um, now called TELUS in Canada, uh, that any of your Canadian listeners might remember that name. Um, and they were really disrupting the communication industry and they were winning um, marketing awards, again, working with a somewhat unknown agency at that time called Taxi. And so um, I really wanted, uh, actually, I would say probably needed, <laughs> I really needed to be part of that. So 
I actually applied for a very junior position, less pay, just to get my foot in the tech industry. And that was my first sort of tech. Um, and I was really, really excited to get in. Um, and then the rest of my career path, you know, I mean, some of it is just life. Um, like I mentioned, I had twins. And um, so while I was at TELUS, I had twins and I was being put forward for some pretty amazing senior leadership roles that were, you know, early in my career, if I think about it from a timing. And I actually made a conscious decision to pause and um, I switched to the financial industry for a couple of reasons. One, it gave me an opportunity to um, increase my scope and my experience in a new industry. And two, you know, financial at that time uh, compared to tech, um, the pace was a little bit more friendly, family friendly, and I was able to spend more time at home and, uh, oh, you know, versus work to a national east west clock, for instance. And, and then, and so I did that. Um, and then um, I got a call uh, from a recruiter for Rogers, and they were in, and, and Rogers, for those that don't know, is a telecom tech company. Um, they called me and they wanted to actually help build up. They wanted someone to help build up the B2B brand marketing practice, leading with digital and performance. And again, that was a bit of a sweet spot for me. And again, you know, my husband and I, we actually sat down, we made a choice for him to be a lead parent, which meant, you know what, he does lunches and there are moments where I miss the school play and that's okay. And, you know, cause he's got it. Um, so that led me to Rogers. And then again, Cisco was another, one of those amazing stories of getting a call. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Um, you know, when we want, if you want to go deep into Cisco, but Again, just another wonderful opportunity that uh, came my way. And so back to your point on, and I love, I actually love that uh, the dots being connected when you look back, because I actually think everything is connected when you look back. You know, I, I probably wouldn't be here doing something I love for a company I love if all of these things didn't happen in my life, um, looking back. Yeah, the reason I love it is sometimes when I'm personally like going through thinking back some job experiences that I went mm -hmm. through I hated them when I did it at the time but now that I've like some aspect of that has helped me like for example uh, I used to do inside sales roles when I was younger I hated them mm -hmm. you're supposed to dial 100 calls a day you get a lot of rejection you know like you like when you do it all the time it's repetitive but then now that I help like co-found like a startup that where we kind of do outbound sales yeah. and we had to make those calls when somebody says no to me I kind of laugh because it's almost like all right, it's a challenge. Let me figure out how to get you to say yes versus before I'd be like inside crying that, you know, I, I got 30, 30 no's in a row. So I really love that Steve Jobs looking back, connecting dots because everything kind of makes you who you are today. Um, I also love the fact that when you talked about your TELUS experience, you intentionally, uh, like, you know, you did, even though you could have had a more senior role or applied mm -hmm. for one, you took a junior role. Um, and like, so like what really, what went into that decision-making like to, because um, I feel like a lot of people would have a problem with ego. Like, you know, I have these credentials. I shouldn't be doing this. They should be, if I apply for this, they should be giving me this kind of role. But you were okay with taking a junior role to kind of learn, which I, I find amazing. Tell us about that. Um, you know, the reality is it's all context. I, I was early in my career. I mean, think about it. We're probably all going to be work for at least 50 years. And, and so there was a contextually, I was in a point in my life where I can take a pay cut, um, you know, because I had a paid support system. Um, I still had a really big runway ahead of me from a career perspective. Um, and 
I really wanted to get into the tech. I really wanted to be part of a company that was award-winning. I really, and so there was a whole bunch of other motivators and support systems that enabled me to make a decision um, where, you know, um, I could take a step, a step in a different direction. And I actually use this analogy with my um, team members when I mentor or coach and I say, you know, you have to, one way to look at a career is through a ladder where there's a rung and you go one and one and one, you're always constantly climbing. And for me, I look at my career and I encourage people to look at their career like a monkey bar. And so I don't know if these are Canadian terms. So you have to tell me if I have to explain what a monkey bar is, but a monkey bar is, you know, you see it in the school play area and it's round and you get to the top, but there's lots of different ways to get to the top, right? And sometimes you go sideways and sometimes you go down and sometimes, you know, you go, there, again, so many different ways to go at it. Um, rock climbing, another analogy, right? But the same idea. And so I always encourage people to look at it through a different lens where it's not necessarily one step on top of each other, but um, where you sometimes have to move up and down and across to eventually get to where you want to go. That's great advice. Um, And I do want to delve back into your Cisco conversation where you said, Mm -hmm. you know, what, so what was said on that phone call or like when you were kind of in this courting process with Cisco that convinced you to kind of, you know, move over and join, join the team? Yeah. Um, so again, you know, and I've shared the story with my colleagues here. Um, I got a call and it was from, you know, California and I actually thought it was a wrong number and I wasn't quite sure um, who was calling me. Um, honestly, it, it was just one of those amazing opportunities where someone calls and they, they, and she shared with me the opportunity. And at that time it was to come and lead the Canada marketing organization for Cisco. And so be the Canada marketing leader. Um and I said, okay, well, this is really interesting. And then I met at that time with my um, boss uh, who walked me through the vision of what they were trying to build at Cisco. Um, I also did a lot of my own work on learning more about the organization, the leadership. And I would say, again, back to time, point of time in your life, right? Um, the more I got to know Cisco as an organization, not just the role, which was amazing. I was really excited to have the opportunity to join an organization that really represents values, values that matter to me. Um, And so again, as you think about that, right, that was really important. And it was also, you know, words were like refreshing and empowering. And I saw a future here. Um, But again, back to values, because I really want to talk about that. for me, Cisco was a conversation, uh, an organization that didn't just talk about the importance of giving back um, to the community or just talk about increasing diversity. Their leadership team is so actively involved and champions and holds leaders and teams accountable to living these beliefs. And this is, you know, obviously translated into so many wonderful achievements like Best Place to Work for Women and Young People and Diversity and Inclusion Awards and so I think that was a, a really important turning point for me to go and join a company that uh, where I was really just happy and excited and the values were so much in line with what I wanted to be part of. You talked about kind of, you know, the, some of these values that made Cisco very attractive for you and kind of, you know, you feel welcome and like, you know, mm-hmm. you're, the company's doing that on a very large scale. But I guess maybe earlier in your career, along your kind of journey, um, as a woman of color, did you ever kind of feel like you hit that proverbial glass ceiling or just kind of were, you know, treated differently or um, potentially just because, you know, you were a woman and you're a woman of color? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, full stop, right? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll share this interesting stat that I saw from PwC, and it said um, women still only hold 19% of jobs in the top 10 global tech companies. And this is despite, you know, decades of progress in the workplace. So 15-ish, you know, years ago when I started my career in the tech, it was even lower. And um, with less representation in leadership positions and almost no women of color in uh, leader roles, even middle management roles, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, like many women in early days of tech, I found myself in lots of situations that caused me to second guess my abilities. Um, I felt like my voice was not heard or my work was diminished. Um, I was looked over for positions that I was qualified for. Um, I was mistook uh, for, you know, while I came in to lead a meeting, someone thought I was uh, uh, bringing in coffee. Like there's lots of those stories, right? Um, and again, if you want to go here, I'm happy to talk a little bit, but, but it really came down to having a moment where I thought I'm going to be so much more than what I was told and what people expected me to be. And it really became about overcoming challenges. And, you know, I'm happy to talk about it more or talk, leave it for another part of the conversation, but it was definitely three things that I kind of came to my, came to terms with on how I'm going to overcome challenges. And, you know, I've done my best to try and share that with others that want to know more. Yeah, I would love to hear that. And on top of that as well, now that you have climbed that ladder and you're at a certain uh, position, you know, in a well-known company mm. where you're, you know, uh, where you could potentially have a hand in, you know, um, giving a hand up to others that look like yourself or others, other folks that, you know, might have challenges on their own journeys being overlooked or, you know, the same way you have. Uh, we'd love to kind of hear what you're doing on your end as well, but we'd love to hear those three things you mentioned before you get into <laughs> sure. that question. Yeah. Did you know that every time you left a 5 out of 5 review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true, but if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. Um, you know, the first is there are uh, there's two types of criticism. And there's the criticism and uh, you know whether that's going to help you grow and be better and it comes from a really good place. And then I kind of say the second one, you just ignore <laughs> and you know which one I'm talking about, right? Like the one where, and again, you as a parent, everyone's going to have an opinion on how you parent your child. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's going to have an opinion on how you run your team. Um, I even got opinions on how I need to look like to be taken seriously by an executive. Um, so again, so I think that's the first thing is just know which ones to pay attention, which ones to ignore. Um, the second is really building that strong circle of influence. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard the term of needing a mentor and a sponsor. For me, I actually think you need more than two people. And I think a lot of people believe that now, right? It's more than two people. It's So for me, when I talk to my team and I do my own sponsorship and coaching conversations, I say, hey, you got to build a circle. You got to build a circle of individuals that are going to support you, accelerate your career and advocate for you. And so for me as a marketer, my circle of influence will include individuals from sales, marketing, um, region and global. And the other benefit of having a circle is they all play different roles, right, for you. And then two, if a champion, if a sponsor, if a mentor leaves the organization, you still have other people that are going to continue to be part of your career journey, right? So I think it's really important to have that circle and really take an honest gauge, gauge at, okay, what does my circle look like and what are my, where are my gaps? You know, where are my gaps in my circle? And then 
last, and you've sort of heard me talk a little bit about making choices and making decisions. And so I've always come um, with this mindset of not liking the word balance. You know, I, I actually literally dislike, hate, you know, depending on the spectrum and how I feel at that day. Um, so for me, it's about making choices. It's like, stop balancing and just make choices, right? And so you heard me, you know, early in my career, I um, I took a cut, I worked very, very long hours, I worked weekends, um, I had my kids. And again, I personally made a choice to step back, focus on raising them. And then later, my husband and I made another choice for him to be the lead parent. Um, so I, I think that's also really important as we think about overcoming challenges and, and, and growth is um, prioritize different things at different times. And then when you make a step, make it a conscious decision, make sure you have support. I love your advice around the circles, building circles. I mean, it, it, it also it works within kind of internally at a company for the reasons you mentioned, but also building circles, even if those folks do leave and, uh, you know, you feel like you're not getting opportunities at the company you're at, you do have, you know, people that could be champions or allies at, you know, other companies. And that's kind of how you mm-hmm. build your network as well. Do you think that also applies? I, I have a belief. I mean, it's a common belief, like, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, not just professionally, but also like in life, like the five or 10 closest people mm-hmm. are who you are a byproduct of. Um, do you do you believe that? And is that something kind of that you kind of try to take on personally as well outside of work? Or is it kind of one and the same because of, you know, how involved you are at work and kind of the, the position you're in? Uh, yes and no, right? I mean, uh, there's certainly um, work colleagues that have also become mentors personally um, and have become part of my personal life. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I do have a core of champions in my personal life. And whether that is my husband who plays a role as both champion and support or, um, you know, a girlfriend that I've known for 20 years that I grew up with that has a different role that they play or a parent, you know, that is, um, helps me out again from a support system. Um, I think, you know, I think to your point on, yes, you know, you do need a support system outside of work um, only because they may play different roles for you. Um, And then two, um, you know, the combination of five, I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, I've certainly heard that as well. Like you are the, you know, at the end of the day, you're the combination of five people. The only reason to say I don't know is um, when I look at, especially on my personal side, when I look at the people I'm surrounded with, they have such diversity. Um, And, you know, there are people, friends and groups that probably don't even know each other and come from very different backgrounds and things like that. So I don't know what that actually makes me. Maybe that is a good thing. And maybe that means I'm actually a multiplier of all of them. But I do have a pretty diverse um, group outside of work that have that come from all sorts of backgrounds and bring a lot of diversity to my life. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess when um, now that I'm saying it out loud, I guess the way I take the five to 10 people around you and kind of, you know, the impact in some way is when I see a particular trait of someone that I know, or like I see, and it's like amazing, something I don't have. I like to kind of, I've heard this before somewhere as well, like steal those kind of traits and kind of internalize it as best we can. So somebody's a really good public speaker. I try to be like, okay, how do I be a a little bit better there? Somebody's really good at just dealing with people, steal Mm. that. So, um, okay. Um, I realized we kind of, you know, have been talking and you know <laughs> talking about this amazing role that you've been doing at Cisco as the head of global mar- uh, partner marketing, but I actually haven't you know asked you to define 
what exactly you do and what you know what your day looks like so why don't i give you a chance to to do that and then that'll hopefully give people more context in terms of you know um what a potential senior marketing role at a large company could look like uh yeah that's actually a good question a good point too bringing it back um so my day and it's probably the part of my role that i also love is it, it varies um you know i get to lead an amazing team of um 60 plus uh, marketers um, that focus on basically how do we how do we from a Cisco perspective support our partner marketing community both internally you know whether it is across all the countries we operate in or externally all the partners that uh, rely and we work with from a Cisco perspective so both internal and external network um, if I boil it down to five areas of focus that you know my team um, and I, we focus and we lead in, it's one, it's about simplifying the experience. You know, we want to make sure um, from a Cisco perspective, we're really simplifying the partner experience. Um, we invest a lot in educating and investing um, and sorry, education. And when I think about education, I think about it from a perspective of um, we have a large marketing community that support our partners. And let uh, I me mean, look at COVID everything went digital. Okay. So how do we enable every manager, every marketing leader that has to work with a partner to lead through a digital lens? Um, we also even brought some of our training like social media and et cetera to our, our external partner community. So we can help them upscale and up level and be um, marketers of the future. Um, in a global role, and this is number three, I would say, and I'm really coming to really appreciate, but also the accountability is you know you, you got to take things from a global and you got to scale it. You got to scale it across all the countries, your network. And so a lot of what we're doing is figuring out how do we scale um, and and reach more people and more customers and more partners. Um, ultimately, I'm on the hook to drive demand, right? Uh, you talked about B two B. I mean, at the end of the day, we got to drive demand. We got to drive interest. We got to drive pipeline. We got it. I mean, all the basic you know sort of functions of marketing. And the last is it's around transformation. You know, and so we're investing in new routes. Um, you know, what, how, how customers buy are changing. They expect more, and that means our partners expect more. So there's definitely an effort on uh, from a transformation perspective, um, so that we can reach new customers and new generations of people that want to work with us and transact with us. Um, so yeah, I mean, what I do is any one of those things at any given day, and sometimes all of that in a day, right? Um, you know, building programs and um, um, yeah. Um, one of the things I've heard kind of in the B2B tech space is any new company that starts in the future will be um, content centric first mm -hmm. and then kind of product later or product second, meaning the future of kind of building and driving demand will really revolve around content. Is that something that you're seeing uh, from a Cisco point of view, like even like even though Cisco is, um, you know, it might not be easy to define for a lot of people like what Cisco does because of all the lines of products and uh, business that you guys do. But is that something you see as well? Like content has become increasingly kind of important to kind of tell the story of Cisco, tell demand, you know, create demand, differentiate yourself from others. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Um, I would say you need both. You know, I, I think um, at the end of the day, you know, we do have some of the best in class solutions. Um, 
you know, we are transforming and have transformed to be a software-led company. And so when you think about it from that context, um, the solutions at the end of the day that any organization needs to offer their customers need um, to be the best of the best, right? And so having said that, um, you could tell great stories and great content, but if you can't back it up um, with the right products and solutions, I don't know how impactful that would be and you'll lose credibility really quickly. Having said that, I think there's also the combination of really, and this is where the marketing role is personalized content, right? So what Ara, you might need as a small business owner from a technology solution might be very different from what a big bank, uh, you know, a CIO of a bank is going to need. And so I think the role of marketing is to ensure from a content perspective that, uh, you know, we can personalize and offer you what you need and, 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 and have the right value proposition for you from a product and solution that may be very different from a big business. So um, I'm cheating a little bit by saying both. <laughs> um, and when you just kind of described, you know, your, the, the five things or the five major kind of deliverables or things you're responsible for, what percentage of your role or day would you say is more dedicated to managing or empowering people versus kind mm -hmm. of in the weeds kind of, you know, implementation or vision creation for like, you know, the things you have to do, what percentage would you say? I'm imagining a lot more people uh, empowerment, yeah. but I, I would just want to hear from you. Money can be hard to come by, but here's a hundred dollar opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win a hundred dollars when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? Absolutely. Um, I have an amazing team of leaders. And I see my biggest role is to make sure as a leader team, we are, I, um, I'm helping them, whether that's removing roadblocks, making sure there's clarity, um, building a healthy team, especially during the pandemic. Um, you know, that's where, you know, um, I also enjoy, I enjoy spending most of my time on those elements and also connecting dots across the senior leadership across Cisco. Um, I have lots of smart people that are, you know, doing all really good hard work, to be honest. How do you, I feel like you make it sound easy, but I feel like finding and empowering people is such a hard thing to do. Not a lot of people are maybe good at it or not as many people um, uh, that should be are good at it. So like how, was there any kind of special training or books or like resources you kind of had to consume or relate to to kind of get better or like, you know, um, uh, I guess, level up to kind of be able to handle what you have to handle for your job? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't even know how to answer that only because um, there was, there's no playbook, right? There's no playbook that says, congratulations, you are now a leader. Um, <laughs> I wish there was times, uh, you know, for me, I, I worked with some amazing leaders, you know, um, and I learn, I learn from the best of the leaders. I, spend as much time as I can one-on-one -on -one with my own team to understand what is their motivators and what support they need. Um, and uh, I will also say that I'm also not perfect, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm very, very open to say, hey, give me feedback. Give me feedback when I've done great things, but also give me feedback when I've let you down. Um, and so to me, it's an evolution. I always say being a leader is the hardest work. It's also the work that I will continuously be learning how to be better at. I love the honesty. So um, for me, I'm a big fan of asking people, I don't like the word, but failure, I, aka learning lesson. But for you, what's like a failure or learning lesson that you've experienced in say the last 
three to five years? And like, what did you learn from that experience? So like you, I'm also not a fan of the word failure. So <laughs> I'm not going to use that word. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's about lessons. Um, so exactly to what you just said, I, I've learned a lot of lessons over the last uh, few years. Um, and I'll say one of it has actually been very personal. Um, and my personal lesson, which tied it a little bit to work, is I, I have always been a very busy person. I've loved the busyness of life. Um, I've always loved thinking about the next and the next and the next. And um, again, a great lesson that the pandemic taught me is to appreciate savoring the moment, appreciate savoring the now, appreciate this conversation that I'm having with you, right? And, 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 and the fact that you asked me to be part of this conversation. So really, really appreciating these moments. Um, it could even be, you know, a summer day with the kids or, you know, putting my phone aside when, I, when it's time to put them to bed. So it's... Uh, it's all of those moments, even, you know, I, again, during the pandemic and being virtual, it's the one-on-one conversations with the, with a coworker. So, yeah. So I think that's, that's where I've um, lesson learned is less busy and more in the moment. If you had a chance to go back in a time machine and visit 16 year old Luxie, what would you tell her? Uh, I would say you're going to be a lot more than what you believe you can be. Um, I would say it's okay to own the power to define your path, your career. Um, it's okay to define what kind of mother, wife, friend you want to be. Um, you mentioned kind of during COVID, a lot of patterns and behaviors change. Like for myself, one habit that I picked up is walking and listening to a podcast every day for like an hour. Mm. And it's like just, just been ingrained now. So for you, um, during COVID or just maybe in the last, like, you know, even before that, what's like a new belief, behavior, habit that you kind of picked up that's really benefited your life? Um, you know what, it actually ties back to our previous conversation. And I, gosh, like it really came to life during the pandemic. And it's back to the choosing an organization that represents values that matter. Um, we spend so much of our time at work with our colleagues, with our leaders, with our teams. Um, and especially during the pandemic when um, things were hard, right? Things were hard for all of us um, and our home and our work life blurred. I was so happy to be part of an organization by leadership that um, really led with empathetic leadership um, that, um, really allowed me to focus on home when I needed to focus on home. Um, that really stood up um, for inclusion, especially with some of the things that were happening in other parts of the world. Um, so, you know what, it, it was really wonderful um, to be part of a company in a workspace that not only improved my life, but also just brought me joy at work and especially on the hard days, right? Especially on the hard days. Well, that's kind of a good segue into kind of the last part of our discussion today. It's a fun game exercise that I like to call Crater Confessions. So basically, it's kind of a bunch of very short statements, and then you're going to kind of say the first answer that pops into mind. You ready, Lexi? I think so. Now you're making <laughs> me nervous. <laughs> They're easy. Don't worry. Um, favorite Tamil food? Uh, uh, fish curry. Something that scares you. Uh, 
getting bored. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Insecurity that you have. Oh my God, these are hard. Um, Not having enough time for my kids. Favorite TV show you're watching? I don't watch TV. It's it's actually embarrassing, but I don't. <laughs> it's actually, no, it's actually a great thing. I, I've been trying to cut down on my TV time. Uh, a place you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is over. Oh my God, where do I start? Um, so we canceled Portugal, which I'm really, really sad because we were supposed to do Portugal and the Azores Island. Um, I love Portugal, yes. I've only been there that. once, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I want to rebook that trip soon. Uh, a fellow Tamil creator that you want to give a shout out to? You. I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> Favorite childhood memory? Um, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm literally having such a mashup of so many things going through my brain that I can't even think about one moment. No problem. You had a fun childhood then. Uh, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? One thing. I love biking with my kids. Um, what's a purchase you've splurged on in the last couple of years recently uh, that you have zero regret about? A really expensive purse that I've been eyeing on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pet peeve of yours? Um, people that find problems and not solutions. Same here. Um, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, a regret that you would have. Dude, this is hard. <laughs> Maybe I find it easy because they ask these questions. <laughs> oh, I gotta like that's that's I gotta sleep. I gotta stay up all night thinking about that one. I, honestly, I don't have regrets. I hate to say that, but I, I really don't. I think it all life is just it's a series of things, and it's all meant to be. Um, a celebrity whose life you'd want to experience for one day. I also don't follow celebrities. <laughs> that's okay. Not a bad thing. I am the most boring person you're going to meet. No, no, not at all. That's your counterculture. I love meeting people like that. Um, And finally, uh, public service announcement you want to leave our audience with. So just like final thoughts or like just things on your mind that somebody listening to, whether it's someone that's a young person aspiring to be uh, someone like yourself in the world of marketing or just a young woman out there that is kind of trying to figure out her next steps. Um, Any pieces of advice or thoughts for them? I'm going to turn around. I'm going to, my advice is going to be for creators like you. Um, And I would say, keep telling stories that are non-traditional. I love, love that you, and I had a chance to look at some of the stories you've created. And I love that they are non-traditional and by what I mean, and you're probably seeing this in our communities, um, we are slow to change. And I think creators like you, by telling non-traditional stories can start to normalize new things. And whether that is everything from finding love outside of the Tamil community, non-traditional definitions of marriage, um, even leaning into uh, political differences, because through understanding them, we actually become better. So that would be my thing is keep doing what you're doing and don't be afraid to go out and tell some of those stories that people may be afraid to talk about. Wonderful. That's a great way to kind of end off the podcast today. Uh, Lexi, you're wonderful to talk to. Um, really excited to kind of share your story. Uh, if someone's listened to this podcast and has been kind of inspired by our conversation and want to reach out for advice or just to connect, um, what would be the best way for someone to reach out to you? So you can follow me on LinkedIn um, or on Twitter at LuxyTHU. 
and uh, yeah, connect with me on social. Awesome. And for those of you listening, thank you guys so much for listening as always and look forward to the next episode.